0: Welcome to the C3 Vancouver Church Podcast. Senior Pastors Darren and Bree Elliott are so excited to share this word with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3 Vancouver, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. Well, today I want to walk through another story of, of a woman in the Bible. We heard about a, a few incredible ladies last night from Pastor Kieran. and I want to talk through uh, another story of an amazing woman in the Bible who went through many years of unfulfilled promises. And I know you're going to identify with her this morning, You know, but she had an encounter with someone, the promise keeper, that changed everything for her. And I love how Pastor Kira just said that. She just referred to that he is the promise maker and he is the promise keeper. So we're talking about the promise keeper this morning and we're going to pull out some things of this lady's story that we can apply to our own lives so that we don't get stuck in that place in between where we've had the promise and we're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 18 and we're going to read verses 1 to 15 together and then we're going to look at the story of this lady. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And he bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not let your servant pass by. Let a little water be brought and then may all, may, you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they said, do as you say. And so Abraham hurried to his tent to Sarah. He says, quick, get three sayers of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Okay, so he's getting his wife to be the hospitality queen for these strangers. And then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf had all been prepared and set these before him, before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Then they say, where is your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed To herself, and she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord Abraham is old, will I now have this pleasure? (laughs) Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. Because she's freaking out, like, wait, I'm in the tent not saying anything out so that anybody can hear anything. And he just read my mail. So she was like, I'm a little afraid. So she lies and says, I didn't laugh. No, I didn't laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. Okay, now we're just going to stop there. We're going to pause there. So push pause. We're going to come back. But we're going to give you some background on this lady, on this story, okay? So that was chapter 18. We're going to go back to chapter 12. We're not going to read it, but I'm going to give you a recap. So in chapter 12, God calls Abraham and Sarah out of the land of Haran where they have dwelt for most of their lives. And at that point, Abraham is 75 and Sarah is 66. Okay, and God calls them out with a promise. He says to Abraham, I want you to come out of Haran because I am going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you into a whole nation. I'm going to bless nations from you. But they were childless at the time. At 75 years old and 66 years old, they left this nation to follow this promise of God, uh, left this town to follow this promise of God to become a nation, and they still didn't have any children. So this is a pretty big promise, right? This is a pretty big thing. I mean, we think it's it's hard to believe for some of the the promises in our lives, but imagine if God said to you, I'm going to make a nation of you, and you're 66 and have no children. This is a big promise. Now, over the next few chapters, there are a few things that happen not the least of which is they end up in Egypt because of a famine and the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, takes an eye to Sarah and Abraham lies and says she's his sister because he's freaked out that Pharaoh might do, knock him off to keep Sarah. So he says, yes, my sister, and lets Pharaoh take Sarah into his palace thinking that she's available. Okay, now first of all, she's 66. <laughs> she must have been some hottie. At 66, to turn a king's head, because he's got the pick of a litter, right? So, wow, Sarah, good girl. Pretty hot. But, secondly, what kind of man lets another man take his wife without putting up a fight? I mean, we all, we all love Abraham, Father Abraham, you know, we're all the children of, of his faith. But, man, that was a moment where he kind of messed up. I mean, how do you make your wife feel? when you're willing to just let somebody else have her without putting up a fight. She must have felt so alone. She's in a foreign nation. She's in a palace with people she doesn't know. She's got nothing and no one. She's alone. And she's, she doesn't know that she's ever going to get out of there. She is very unsure of her future. There's this promise over her life and her and Abraham's life together. And now they're separated and she's alone with no guarantees of what's going to happen from here. So she's in this place and unsure. Thankfully, God sets things straight. He doesn't let Pharaoh get into business. And so he th- throws a plague on Pharaoh's house. And he's like, what is going on? And finally realizes, oh, wait, well, you guys are married? So he tells them to leave the country, lets them keep all their stuff, thankfully. And so they head on out. Abraham's probably in a little bit of shame at that point, like I probably should have been truthful up front. But God still believes in Abraham. So in chapter 15, God meets with Abraham again and he makes a covenant with Abraham, which is a solemn, binding promise. God, God um, confirms it with blood, is what they did in, in the Old Testament with covenants. And he makes this promise that Abraham is going to be given and his descendants will be given possession ...of the land that he is in, a.k.a. the promised land, okay? That's where, that's what's promised. It's promised to Abraham for his descendants. Okay, now we're going to fast forward in time, 10 years from that point, okay? 10 more years. And it's now been 10 years since, since they left Haran. And so Sarah is 86 now. And they've had this promise over their lives for 10 years where Sarah has been wondering what her role is in this promise because surely she must have felt if the promise to Abraham is that he's going to be the father of nations I'm obviously responsible for making this happen right she must have felt the burden of I'm supposed to do this how do I do this what a burden to carry you know the fulfilment of that promise had to come through her and often we feel the pressure of bearing fruit. We feel the pressure of having the outward signs of success, of the promise being on our lives and yet we're just not able to produce that ourselves and it's a burden on us and we feel like it's, it's not happening fast enough and that somehow we have to take that into our own hands and who of us are, are type A personalities oh yeah, there's a few of you. <laughs> well, I am too. And we like to take matters into our own hands. It's not okay that something just isn't going to get done. We got to just make it happen. So Sarah decides, you know what? I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. God must have needed a helping hand here. He's either, he's either not sure how this whole thing works or or he's just forgotten about me. So, she says in Genesis 16 verses 1 to 2, it says here now Sarai, Abraham's wife is what they were called before their names were changed. She had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. She probably bought her when she left Egypt with her. And so she says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, first of all, note that she says, the Lord has kept me from having children. I think there's a little bit of bitterness here. Like, okay, God, this is your fault. If you promised this, but then you've withheld from me. You haven't released me into this. And so there's blame pushed, being pushed to God because of the pain that she's carrying, the anguish she's carrying, and the burden of, having a, of feeling like she has to make this happen. So... She steps in, does something for herself. By now she's 76, and she has lost hope. That's really what she's done. She's lost hope that this can ever happen. So Abraham agrees. I don't know, crazy guy. He does some crazy things. He is our father, father of faith, but boy, he did some crazy things. So then he just goes and sleeps with his servant. She gets pregnant, and she gets pregnant with Ishmael. You may have heard, with, heard of Ishmael. Um, he, was the, he was not the son of promise, but he was the, the effort of Sarah trying to make something happen, trying to make a promise be fulfilled without God involved. Now, unfortunately, what she thought would bring her peace actually brought her more anguish because Hagar started to resent her started to despise her because now Hagar's pregnant with Abraham's child and Sarah still has nothing. And so it turns into a, competi- a bitter competition between these women. This is like, I don't know, desperate housewives craziness. This is, this is futile. And, uh, and, and to the point where Sarah actually goes to Abraham and complains about it and Abraham's like, well, just do whatever you got to do. So she's like mean. She's mean to Hagar to the point where Hagar actually, you're like, runs away. She's like, I can't take this anymore. And so she runs away. God sends her back and she still has the baby. But you know, it's, it's a bitter moment in Sarah's life. It's a feud. Abraham is just happy that he has a kid. I'm sure he's like, this is my son. I've got a son and he's happy. But these women are fighting it out. For another 13 years, she's living in this. She's living in this bitter feudal situation. She's now 90. Okay, she left her arm when she was 66 with the promise. She's 90. As far as we can tell from Scripture, God didn't appear to them at all during that 13 years of of Ishmael's first 13 years of his life. So she's still living with this incredible gap between what has God promised And is it ever going to come to pass? Every day I can imagine that she saw Ishmael. She was reminded of her inability to produce a child, reminded of her barrenness. And it must have been so painful. But it's right at this time that these three strangers appear that we just read about. With all this history of disappointment, pain, loneliness, rejection... They come into this situation and they're just sitting outside her tent having a conversation with her husband. And she's probably sitting in her tent feeling dejected, old, lonely, she's on her own. She's not invited into the conversation perhaps because she's a woman. So she's just sitting there listening. But then she suddenly hears one of them ask about her. Okay, wh- what? Who am I that, you know, these men would bring up my name, and they don't even know me. They're strangers, so immediately she must have been like ears pricked up, listening, like what is going on right now. And they ask about her, and then she hears the craziest words about this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. I mean, Abraham's 99 and Sarah is 90, guys. I mean, that that that's a serious miracle if that's going to happen, right? I mean, how exactly is that going to happen? So, her laughing is a pretty normal response. I mean, I don't think it's like, tut, tut, Sarah, you should have had more faith. I'm like, um, yeah, I would have been laughing too. Like, 90? Not only am I 90 years old, but I've never had a child. I've never been able to conceive even, even in the prime of my life. Now at 90, you're saying, I'm going to have a child and my husband's 99. <laughs> My gosh, I mean that, but she was smart enough to keep it to herself. She didn't she didn't let anybody hear. She thought it was all just a private moment. She thought it to herself. But God had a message for Sarah this time, not just for Abraham. See, all the other times that God had made the promises, he had met with Abraham. And really, Sarah's faith in the promise was secondhand. Because she'd never actually met the promise maker. She just heard about it through her husband. And what incredible faith to believe for something that you and you had even never met that promise maker. She believed it through the faith of her husband. And she had held on to that for so long. But this time, after her hope had been destroyed over so many years and such a difficult situation she was in, God was like, I'm coming to meet with you, Sarah. So he introduces himself to her and he says, he responds, simply responds to her inward laughter by saying, is anything impossible with God? Is anything impossible with God? What a beautiful response. So the first thing I want to say, ladies, the first and most important thing we need to do always, but especially when we're in this time of waiting for our promise and when we're struggling in our faith is that we need to have to get up close and personal with Jesus. Have an up close and personal encounter with Jesus. She had always been distant. The promise had been distant, but now she was meeting the one who made the promise. You know, just one word from him can change our whole outlook. It can alter our course. Just one word from him. And the beautiful thing is that when we encounter him, we don't have to come to him perfect. We can come to him warts and all. We can come to him with our unbelief, with our laughter at, oh my goodness, how's that ever going to happen? It didn't put him off. It didn't shock him. He didn't get up and say, well, that's it. I'm out of here. She doesn't believe anyway. He didn't care he heard her laugh and he pointed it out lovingly. He actually specializes in dealing with messes, guys. So it doesn't matter what shape you're in, when God encounters you, he's going to bring a word, the word you need for the moment that is going to cause your faith to rise when you encounter him. Sarah in all her mess and all the crazy things she'd done to try and make this thing come to pass herself. She knew all the things. She, I'm sure every day she was reminded of that was a mistake, that was a mistake, that was a mistake. And he wanted to make sure that she still knew she was valued and that she, her promise was still going to come to pass. But when he calls her out on it and he says, hey, Sarah, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. That's the moment when she realises, oh, this is not just three men. This is God. This is God. That's her meeting with him. Now, she did try and save face by lying about whether she laughed or not, you know. As we all do, we're like, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. No. No, you're imagining I didn't do that. <laughs> but he says, hey, yeah, yeah, you did, Sarah. You did. But it's okay. He didn't condemn her. Even when she denied it, he didn't condemn her for lying either. He was like, a liar. No. He just like. He knew he knew what was going on, and he didn't condemn her. He just repeated his promise. He just repeated the promise. He wanted that those words to be replaying in her head when he left. He wanted those words. He made sure that the last words he said to her were the promise again. This is what you need to remember, Sarah. You know, and there's another noticeable difference in this interaction um, between this one and when God promised to Abraham. Because when God met with Abraham, his promises were so broad, so enormous. They weren't literally nations right? And they were like, man, I'm going to, you and all your descendants, and I'm going to give you this land, and you're going to have as many descendants as sand on the seashore, and I'm going to make nations of you. These are massive promises, right? And very broad, no specifics. Through you, all the nations of the earth, are going to be blessed. But this time, not only did God make it personal for Sarah and have her name in the promise but he gives a date. Hallelujah. I mean, who wants a date with their promise? <laughs> you know what? I, I believe he gave her a date because Sarah had lost hope. And when we lose hope, our hearts become sick. Proverbs thirteen twelve says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when you have a sick heart, you lose hope. You have, you have no bravery. When you're living between this chasm and this chasm between you, your promise and the fulfillment of that promise for so long, you can become hopeless and you get this sick heart. The difference between a faint heart and a brave heart is simply hope. If you don't have hope, you cannot have a brave heart. Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold firmly to our hope. For the one who made the promises faithful, hold firmly to our hope. We put this on the little pictures in your registration bags, because I want you to remember that. It was the verse for this conference. "Let us hold firmly to our hope." Then a few verses down in Hebrews, and in, in a, Hebrews 11 verse one. it tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hope is essential for faith to exist. If we don't have faith, we have, if we don't have hope, we have nothing to attach our faith to. Our faith has nothing to latch on to. Hope is what draws us into the future. If we can't see anything in the future, where does our faith get applied? We must have hope. Our hope and our future are always tied together. Our hope and our future. What does God say in Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Future and a hope. Without hope, we are not looking to the future. Without hope, we are stuck right here and we cannot see. We have no vision. Nothing to attach our faith to. There's no need for faith when we don't have hope. It erodes our faith. There's no need for it. But, ladies, if we jump down a few more verses in Hebrews, we read in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So wait, if we have no hope, then we can't have faith. And if we have no faith, then we can't please God. That's a light bulb moment. Surely that explains exactly why the enemy wants to steal our hope. Why he wants to make us feel like we are hopeless. Why there is no hope. We are beyond hope. He wants us to believe that so that we have no hope, we carry no hope, we cannot see the future, and we have nothing to put our faith to. Because without our faith, we cannot please God. So I'm going to say that the second thing that we need to do, no matter what the enemy or life or anything throws at us, is we need to hold on to hope. We need to hold on to hope. Ladies, if you feel like you have lost hope today, if you feel like you can't see anything in front of you, I'm here to tell you that God is going to, to switch the light of hope on again in you. He's going to ignite something in you in this, in this day, in this, even in this session right now, and you're going to leave this conference with hope again. You're going to be able to see beyond your current situation. It doesn't matter how drastic it looks. It doesn't matter how hopeless it looks. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. You just go back to Ezekiel Ezekiel 37, where the, the prophet Ezekiel is taken into the valley of dry bones. Now, this is beyond hope. This is a once-was army that is now a pile of bones in the floor of a valley. Beyond hope, beyond recognition. And he says to him, these bones are the children of Israel who say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. Our hope is perished. We are cut off. What made them dried up and good for nothing was their hope perishing. Their hope perished. But that wasn't the end because nothing is impossible with God. They seemed like they were too far gone. But I'll tell you what God's answer is to a hopeless situation is to prophesy, is to speak to the dry bones, He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. For he says, I will make breath enter into you and you will come to life again. I will open up your graves and you will come from them and you will settle in your own land. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. These are the words that we must speak over the hopeless situations, over the things that seem like they are too far gone prophesy to the dry bones. He is too kind to let us stay in our hopelessness. He will not let us stay there. You might have come to this conference feeling like dried up bones, but you're going to leave an army. You're going to leave with strength. He's speaking over you right now. He is not angry with you. He is not finished with you. He's not going to withhold any good thing from you. He promises that. Nothing is impossible with God. So hold firmly to hope, ladies. Hold firmly to hope. Because without hope, there can be no faith. And it is only by faith that we can receive his promises. Only by faith. So Sarah, she allows this word of hope spoken over her, this word spoken over her to spark this hope inside of her again. And as she meditates on it, and on who it was that gave this word to her, faith begins to rise. Faith begins to rise again in Sarah. Now, we're going to go back to read the end of Sarah's story in a minute. But first, I think we need to know, during that period of time, after she had that up-close and personal encounter with Jesus, and she allowed, allowed that hope to be ignited again, what did she do to move into faith? Because it's one thing to have hope, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. How did she get there? So we're going to jump down a few more verses in Hebrews 11. We're going to go to verse 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11. It says, By faith, Sarah, even though she was barren and past the age, received the strength to conceive a child because she considered him faithful who had promised Now, first of all, notice that she she did have two barriers to overcome here. She was past the age and she had barrenness to overcome. Two major obstacles. Either one of these things would have been enough to make some people give up. Okay? There's two of them. But, you know, God specializes in wanting to make it so impossible that he will get the glory. Because he didn't... It's a drop in the ocean for him. Doesn't make any difference for him whether you were just barren or whether you were just too old or whether you were those things and everything else put together. Doesn't make any difference. Cuz he's got unlimited power. So it's no difference. He loves it when there is no shadow of doubt as to whether it is a miracle. Cuz you know, maybe maybe if it only be one of those things, They might have let, well, you know, maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it was just good timing, you know. No, he's like, nope, I want there to be no shadow of a doubt. I'm going to wait till you are 90, girlfriend. Okay. Well, then she, it's interesting, she says she received the strength to receive a child because who knows that if you're 90 and you're going to have a baby, you're going to need some strength. Hello. I mean, she's having a baby in the desert. And we're all like, oh, I need to go to the hospital and have an epidural. And I, I'm, I'm going to be like, need to have like extra care. I, I want a push present, you know. <laughs> and she's like in the desert at 90 years old having a baby. Hello. She needs some strength. What a superwoman. Anyway, that was off track. That was just some random thoughts. I was like, wow. But, but Sarah stepped into faith, it says, because she considered him faithful. She considered him. Another, one of, another way of saying considered is judged. She judged. She determined that he was faithful. So what is it that she considered then when she was making that judgment? How did she consider him faithful? Well, a promise is defined as a declaration that someone is going to do something or not do something specified. Okay? A declaration. So, for example, like Kira referred to, the kids might say, I promise I am going to clean my room up today, Mum. When I get home, I'm going to to do it. Now, we might go, well, yeah, that's what you said last week. Because sometimes the quality of the promise is really determined by the track record, right? The track record of the person making the promise. You let us down a few times and we might have a little bit of trouble believing the promise. There might be a bit of a roll of the eyes. Whatever, because we're not really sure that we can trust. We make a judgment and we decide if you're faithful or not based on a bit of a track record. The character of the person making the promise is really what determines the weight of the promise. Those who are flippant with their words, who say things and don't really mean them, we find it much harder to trust them and to believe their words, right? They're generally not deemed to be faithful people. But those who have weight behind their words are those who always come through with what they say. They carry weight, those words. We find it so much easier to believe them when the character of the person has integrity. And another aspect of the person's character that we might want to consider is, are they good? Are they kind? Are they for me? What kind of character and nature does this person have? Do they have my best interests at heart? This is where trust comes in, right? If we believe that they are for us, not only do they have weight behind their words because they have integrity, but this person is for me, they are a good person, then they are more worthy of our trust in our eyes, right? So we settle those questions really before we make a judgment about a person's faithfulness in their promise. But it's not only a person's character that we have to consider. Sometimes we need to actually also consider their capability to fulfill the promise. Can they actually do what they're promising? See, because I could make a promise to you today that in one year's time, I am going to be an Olympic swimmer. It's true. I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer in one year's time. I'm going to train every day. I'm going to get those one of those full, like, full-length suit things, the aerodynamic swimsuits, the cap, the goggles. I'm going to start working out. I'm, going to, I'm probably going to have to wear flippers because my feet are too small. But I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes because I am I'm a woman of integrity. I have the best of intention and I'm going to follow through on my promise. But do you have much confidence that I'll actually fulfill that promise? Because my capability is not really there. I mean, look at the size of me. Look at the size of my hands and feet. I mean, you imagine me competing compared to these, like, women up here that are like incredible hulk in the water. There's no way that I have the capability to become an Olympic swimmer, right? you've got to consider the capability of the person that's promising. I might be very passionate about it. I might be very willing. But if I don't have the ability to do it, it's pretty hard to believe the promise. I can't fulfill it. The more capable a person is in regards to what they're promising, the easier it is to believe. I mean, if I was only just capable is like you know what she's got a pretty good chance yeah I would probably bet on that she would probably make it but if I was only racing against five-year-olds I'd probably make it <laughs> I think I could probably win a race because you know what compared to the actual obstacle ah she's got the capability to do that it's in spades no problem there's not even a a weighing up of that, it's like, nah, 100%, she's going to get that. No problem. Because the capability of the person matters when we're judging the faithfulness of the promise. So we have to judge the character and the capability of the promise keeper, of the promise maker, to determine whether they're a promise keeper. Sarah obviously determined that God did have these things. That number one, his character is unquestionable. He cannot lie. His character, his nature is one that he cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He has perfect integrity. He can be completely relied on in any situation. That's his character. And it is only good and perfect gifts that come from him. He has only wanting good things towards us. So his character can easily be relied on. And that's capability. I mean, he's the God who created the universe. Is anything too difficult for him is what he says to Sarah. No, nothing. Clearly nothing is impossible for him. He has unlimited resources, unlimited power, unlimited knowledge. He lives outside of time. I mean, there is no obstacle for him to be able to accomplish what he's promised. And Sarah began to meditate on that. And her faith began to grow. She realized she judged him faithful who had promised. So we pick up Sarah's story again in Genesis 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac, which means laughter, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said this, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. We are laughter. And she added, "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age." Well, how beautiful is it? Is it first of all that God turns her laughter of unbelief and doubt into laughter of joy? And even names the son laughter. I love that redeeming nature of the story. Like, no, I know you might have laughed at me because you weren't quite sure how this was going to happen. But I'm going to turn that around into something incredible. This is going to be the laughter of joy in your life when you see the promise fulfilled. I love that. So ladies, just like Sarah, we need to have an up-close and personal encounter with Jesus. We need to make sure that we connect with him, that he can speak into our lives, his personal word over us, because he does have a personal promise for you. It's not a, just a general one. There's one for you. You are valued. And we receive the Lord. We receive the word of the Lord, and it sparks hope in us. It brings life to the dry bones. We receive that hope and we hold on to it and we let that rise and begin to determine the character of the one who promised. We begin to determine his capability and we decide he is faithful. He is faithful. And then we move into this faith. We realize that we can receive strength from him to fulfill the promise, just like Sarah did. We can see, receive strength. If you're feeling weary, Like you don't even know if you can keep walking out this journey. If you're not sure you can last the distance until this comes to pass, you can receive strength from Him. He will give you strength to receive the promise, to hang in there. And you will see these things come into your world and you will laugh at God's faithfulness over your life. You will laugh with joy at His faithfulness over your life. So come on, let's stand together this morning. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust that you heard from God and are more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the area, we'd love for you to attend a service. For more information on C3 Vancouver, you can visit our website at www.c3vancouver.org.